0: Hey, Leela. Hey, Hannah. So, Leela, there's this story from when I was a little girl that I wanted to share with you. I don't think I have. Okay, do share. I want to hear it. So, when I was younger, I loved basketball. Really? Do you know that? I never heard you mention that before. Yeah, yeah. And I was always called a tomboy. I didn't fit in anywhere. But, you know, when I was playing basketball, I felt great. I didn't have a lot of friends, but then I got this new next door neighbor and we would play one-on-one all the time. Uh And then one day things got kind of heated and I was beating him in our little one-on-one game. I was just hitting every shot and then he knocked me down. Wait, how And then the next day he came to apologize. I looked into his face and I realized All those times playing one-on-one, we were actually really crushing on each other. And in that moment, he leaned in
1: and kissed me on the cheek. Hannah, you've then lost your mind.
0: What? This is the plot from (laughs) Love and Basketball, okay? All right, so you got me. So today, we're going to be talking about iconic Black love in movies. And you know, Leela, when we asked Stoop listeners about this, so many people said that their favorite was none other than love and basketball. (laughs) But I got you. It is
1: a classic, though. Some of my favorites were some of those
0: 90s films. You know, we got Waiting to Exhale and Stella got a groove back. Oh, yeah. And the 90s was a renaissance of Black love in film. But... I was wondering, do we think that just because that was our coming of age, right? Like we grew up during that time, we were teenagers. So are we just ultra nostalgic or was something else actually happening? Like was there some other secret sauce in those movies that made them so impactful? And so I started digging into the evolution of black love on the big screen and turns out The 90s was really the first time we were seeing something that had never been seen before. It was a moment. Mm. So are
1: you ready? Oh, I am. Let me get cozy. Let me get my snacks, my fan,
0: because it's going to be hot in here. All right. Lights, camera, action. We're stooping about Black love in the movies.
2: The Stoop. The Stoop. The Stoop.
0: The Stoop.
2: Stories from across the black diaspora.
1: That we need
0: to talk about. My cousins were water and grease girls. And I couldn't be a water and grease girl. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about, ballerina in the hood.
2: We be Gullah United people. When a black woman walks up to the desk in labor, what preconceived notions do you have about her? I didn't even know we had a hair shark. Hello, hello, Malcolm Gladwell here. This season on Revisionist History, we're looking at the dreaded phrase that no one in Hollywood wants to hear. One that describes the purgatory where once promising scripts go to die. Development hell. I called up everyone I knew in Hollywood and asked them to pitch me a project that broke their heart because it never got made. These stories were so good, and you can hear some of them on Revisionist History. Listen on the iHeartRadio app,
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
0: Okay, so today we wanted to look into what led up to all those 90s movies that centered on black love. You know, like Love and Basketball. Love Jones, The Best Man, all of those movies. So today it's all about black love in the movies. Mm. Leela, what are some of the ones that you love from that time?
1: It's the scene from Poetic Justice, you know, with Tupac and Janet Jackson. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting on these rocks near the ocean and she's telling about her family. And then she says, look at your nails. Give me your hand. Come on, give me your hand she pulls out a nail file and she's holding his hand, filing his nails. When I was 12, my mama committed suicide. She named me Justice because she was in law school when she was pregnant with me. I'm all alone now, though. <laughs> I got a cat cute little cat and then he looks deep into her eyes and then they kiss mm. and hannah i gotta tell you why i love this scene so much it was just so simple you could just feel this tension between the two of them and the way they looked at each other and the, the little pouty mouth that tupac had remember he used to do that with the lips and persians like that remember that Ooh, awesome. Ooh, give me my fan. I mean, I just loved it. I just loved that idea that there could be so much tension and no touching.
0: Ooh, I mean, I love how slow moving that scene is. You just feel the intimacy. It's amazing. What about you? What's your favorite Black love scene? Well, I mean, for me, it's got to be waiting to exhale. And there is this chemistry between... The characters that Loretta Devine and Gregory Hines played, and that is Gloria and Marvin. And there's these flirting scenes between them, but the one I love the most is when he's just moving in next door, and she's kind of curious about the man moving in, and he's taking things down from his moving truck, and they have this little conversation.
2: Look, um, Marvin, I'll let you get back to your work. And, um... I'll send that plate right on over. Thank you. Thanks, Gloria. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: nice
0: meeting
1: you. Hope to see you again real soon.
2: Oh, God, I hope he's not watching me walk away. (laughs) All right.
0: He's watching. I just loved that scene because, you know, that feeling of that very first moment of attraction, right? You could feel like that very first time the person just takes your breath away. She was like, and there are so many incredible Black love scenes. We knew a lot of people would definitely have something to say about this So we asked our producer, Natalie, to go see what the streets were saying about their favorite moments of Black love in film. I think the scene that comes to mind most is probably the scene in Love and Basketball. (laughs) This might be a little weird,
2: but I actually think of... uh Boomerang and Coming to America?
0: When they like fight for the love at the end and they play their little game and they went. It's so
1: corny, but I feel like that was the first time I ever saw like a love movie, like a black
0: love movie. One of the first ones is Love Jones. Love Jones? Love Jones, She's Gotta Have It, Poetic Justice, and Queen and Slim. Poetic justice expresses love and the rediscovery of love amidst and after tragedy. It makes
1: me really happy because it's really corny when I think about it now, but love is sometimes really corny. Like you have those moments where you find yourself fighting for love or you just do something really corny to win your love back. And plus, I still really love that film.
2: (laughs) His parents were making him marry someone that he wasn't in love with. They didn't like her because she was from Queens, she was from New York, she wasn't, you know, from Africa. But in the very end, they um, wanted to make him happy and they surprised him by allowing them to get married. Black love. it's truly, um, it's a journey.
0: It's beautiful and it's worth, it's worth it. It's like worth exploring. It's worth the hard work once you find it. And I think we need more of it. I wish we saw more imagery of black love in like music and movies. And I'm I'm speaking beyond romantic love. I'm speaking like sibling love. I'm speaking family love, friendship love um, and just neighborly love. So, Lila, a lot of those movies are in or around the 90s, and clearly people love them, but they're all really different, right? So, like, I'm still wondering if there's an element to them that ties them together, like a reason those are the films that get mentioned immediately when we say black love in film. Why? So I talked to someone who can help us maybe figure this out someone who knows all about the evolution of Black love in film and might know where to start.
2: My name is Dr. Artel Great, and I am the Marcus and Dow Chair in African American Cinema Studies at San Francisco State University and a professor of cinema and the cultural critic in residence at the Museum of the African Diaspora.
0: He's also an actor, right? Yeah, he was in a number of films like Save the Last Dance. Remember that movie? So he was one of the friends of the main character, Neil Patrick Thomas. But Dr. Great is also a filmmaker. And the movies that he likes to make are Black romance films. I asked Dr. Great, why does he like that genre in particular, though? Why romance?
2: I worked on the adaptation of a film, the television film version of uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God. And this was uh, produced by uh, Oprah. And there was one time where I actually, you know, was on set and talking with, with Oprah. And she was saying that, you know, people are really gonna be drawn to this particular film that we're working on because everybody loves love. Everybody loves love. I love that. Right? It really is imbued with this elixir of hope because it's about promise and potential. It's about the connection and the fulfillment of our most, you know, innate desires. And seeing Black love on screen, I think it's very important for our communities.
0: So Leela, I think Dr. Great is the perfect person to take us through time, to explore, to take this trip down memory lane of some iconic moments of Black romance in film. Let's go we're going to start our journey way back
2: in the 1800s it's called something good negro Kissing. and this is actually a short 30 second film where it was recently kind of rediscovered somewhere in the south in someone's basement someone found it and didn't know what it was And Lila, it turns out it was an absolute treasure. It's believed to be the earliest depiction of any type of affection of Black people on camera. And it does, of course, feature two Black actors. They were both Vaudeville performers, uh, St. Subtle and a woman named Gertie Brown. It's important to think about and recognize that Black participation in movies date all the way back to the very beginning of movies themselves. And what makes it notable and important in terms of this rediscovery, you know, all of these, you know, 100 years later, is that the two actors, Saint and Gertie, they aren't presented as caricatures.
1: Yeah, and not only were they not portrayed as caricatures, but it was like the first time two Black people are seen on screen being normal Black people kissing hugging, showing physical affection.
0: Then Dr. Gray says there was a booming Black independent film movement during the silent film era and throughout the 20s and the 30s. But he says nobody talks about those films because they weren't, quote, you know, mainstream. But the first mainstream films with Black people and romance, they came mm, mid-century, like the 50s.
1: A lot was shifting around that time. It was the end of World War II, the civil rights movement was starting, there were a lot more mainstream conversations about Black life, and a lot of plays at that
0: time were being adapted for the big screen. It was definitely a movement. People fought hard against the minstrel and the Blackface of that time none of this came easy. This came after, in 1942, representatives from the NAACP created this agreement. They demanded that Hollywood improve how Black people were portrayed in movies. And it was around that time that this film came out. Dr. Great says, It's one of the most iconic films of its time, and it was all about Black love.
2: I would have to point toward a film like Carmen Jones. That film comes out in 1954. And uh, Carmen Jones stars Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte. I mean, and these are two Black trailblazers, okay?
0: And they're in this room together. They look incredible together she's wearing this peach dress and belafonte is like dressed down you know looking like he just came in from a long day of work they look amazing but also you can see the power that she
1: holds everything is on her terms she's sexy but she's intimidating
0: Mm -hmm. and harry just seems like he's lost fine fine harry
2: belafonte don't go put me on no stand I don't answer to nobody.
0: You got nothing to hide.
2: Do you think I do?
0: What do you expect me to think? Why don't you tell me?
2: You think what you want. I don't account to no man. You're accounting to me. I love you that gives me the right don't give you no right to own me. There's only one that does. That's me, myself. Where you going?
1: So the thing with this film, it's a classic, and it just grabs you. Dorothy Dandridge is playing not only this extremely sexy character, but she's also a woman who is free, right? And and she desired love and also exudes it. And she became the first Black actress to be nominated
0: for an Academy Award in the Best Actress category. Because this film was so groundbreaking, folks had a lot to say about it, and not everyone was excited about this movie. In fact, in that same year that it came out, in 1955, James Baldwin had some things to say about it.
1: Yeah, in his 1955 published essays, Notes of a Native Son, Baldwin addresses the movie and critiques the gender roles in it, saying that Dandridge is playing a stereotypical, amoral Negro woman and that Belafonte is intentionally dressed to be desexualized,
0: so he didn't seem threatening to white folks. Ooh, Baldwin had some things to say. Right. Like, on one hand, people celebrated this movie because it showed an all-Black cast and they're just living their Black joy, right? And on the other hand, we start to see this trend that Baldwin's trying to point out, this characterization of Black leading men that kind of keeps happening right into the 1960s, even to some of the most iconic Black actors.
2: He emerges, you know, in the 50s and 60s as Hollywood's singular leading black man. Sidney Poitier fit the mold of what the industry felt was safer, the consumption of white audiences. Harry Belafonte was, you know, he was too edgy. Poitier emerges as this iconic figure who plays pivotal roles. Now here's the catch, okay? We are gonna give you some Sidney Poitier leading man romance, but we're gonna do so to challenge the social norms around interracial relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. The women were all white.
2: So here we go. Guess who's coming to dinner in 1967? A Patch of Blue, 1965. These films feature Sidney Poitier but in a way that focuses again, like I said, on interracial relationships. So Hollywood still was not ready to see more Black couples on screen.
0: Yeah. But then in 1968, another movie came along, Raisin in the Sun.
2: When Portier appears in films with a black woman as his romantic partner, which does happen in films like Raisin in the Sun. I'm looking in the mirror this morning, and I'm thinking I'm 35 years old, I'm married 11 years, and I got a boy who's got to sleep in the living room because I got nothing, eh? Nothing to give him but stories like on how rich white people live, eh?
1: Eat eggs, Walter. Damn
2: these eggs. Damn all the eggs that ever was.
0: And go to work.
2: I'm trying to talk to you about me. Now, all you're going to say to me is, eat these eggs?
1: You never say nothing, new. No. I listen to you every day, every morning, every night. You never say nothing, new. No. So you'd rather be Mr. Arnold than be a
0: chauffeur. So I'd rather be living in Buckingham Palace. A lot of the times, while the movie wasn't really about their love, it was really about having Black stories on screen, period.
2: The woman that he's partnered with as his romantic interest is Ruby D. But the idea of romance between Black people in the mainstream, although they appeared on screen, that wasn't the focus of the entire movie. It was just a circumstance of the character.
1: To be honest, Hanau, I saw that movie when I was a kid. I never even knew it was supposed to be a love story. Oh. Yeah, I always thought it was about... Black struggle, I never associated it with love.
0: Hey, it's Hannah from The Stoop. Now, if you've been listening to The Stoop, you know that we care about Black representation in media. That's why we're excited to tell you about NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. So make sure to listen to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. So, today we're stooping it out about Black love in film. And it's time to put on your bell bottoms and fluff that afro with your pick, because we're about to get grooving on to the 70s.
1: Ooh, the 70s. It was the era of black exploitation films. We have Pam Greer playing Foxy Brown, Richard Roundtree playing,
0: well, you know. Oh, we know.
1: a man that would risk his neck
0: for his brother, man. Shaft, you dig? He's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Shaft. <laughs> Dr. Gray has a lot to say about the 1970s. He says this is basically when social justice issues started to come into Black film. And it was a time when Black films started, you know, like testing the waters to see what was possible in Black romance. And social justice starts to come into romance because he basically says you can't separate Black life from Black love.
1: Amen. I mean, they need to coexist. It's around that time also that we saw TV shows like Good Times and The Jeffersons starting
0: to show Black families and Black couples and love stories. Right. And in film, Dr. Great points to this one movie called Claudine from 1975. It's a romantic comedy starring Diane
1: Carroll and James Earl Jones, set in Harlem.
2: She's a single mother with six children, and you know, she works as a maid and she falls in love with a garbage man. <laughs> you know, that's Hollywood. Like, okay, that's perfect. And <laughs> you go. Know.
1: You want me to tell you something? I think that you and me is wrong.
2: Well, I think that
1: you and me is definitely right for you. Oh, yeah, just perfect. 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 Nobody. Now you just pushed the wrong button. Okay, I was just just asking.
0: <clears throat> so they're standing there just talking about life within this film that's really sensual, right, and intimate about their love for one another. But it's like real love in the real world. She's, um, both been a lot of different love projects and, um, we're older, we're wiser. I have sympathy. I think you have sympathy. We have no gross inequalities. But the um, best part about you and me is yeah, we don't understand each other one damn bit.
2: What James Earl Jones and what Diane Carroll do with that material is they craft something beautiful. They smuggle in a Black reality, a nuanced portrayal that not only challenges social pressure and social norms, but they offer something authentic and realistic in terms of Black romance within the context of the Black family and within the context of Black communities and the social issues that have challenged us and how that has changed or has not changed over time. This film is so nuanced in this portrayal of Black romance in a way that wasn't easy to do.
1: I mean, all I got to say is when I heard that scene, it reminded me of conversations I heard my elders having in their kitchens, the ones I wasn't supposed to be hearing. And I gotta say, I did not make the connection that those were love conversations. It sounds very intense. wasn't that sweet, soft love that I wanted to see in a movie.
0: I mean, that would be lovely, what you just said. But we do not live in a perfect world, and there's no perfect love, and we can't be idealistic all the time. Life is real. The life goes with the love. Black life, black love. There's struggle. It's gonna be in there. I'm sorry, Lila. I'm so sorry. But that's the way it's gotta be. Can we just bring in some Sade to make me feel better? All right. It's the
1: '80s.
0: So this was a time when, you know, Prince, Michael Jackson, they were dominating our Sony Walkmans. I was not allowed to have one, actually, until I was much older. Really? Mm, I know. I had to have a (laughs) boombox. But I had this new edition tape that was worn out. In the movies,
1: there was a lot going on. There was Purple Rain. There was coming to America. Spike Lee was doing the right thing. And it was the time for all these Black stories to be
0: having their moment. Right, and the color purple. Now that is definitely a story about love. A different kind of love. A sisterly love. Sister, you've been on my mind. Oh sister. We're two of a kind, so. But Leela, you know, Dr. Great says it wasn't really until the nineties that black. Romance was emerging as its own genre. And he says the 90s was a golden era for Black love stories and romance.
2: We get to the 90s. There is this shift that really brings in a bit of diversity in terms of the types of representation that were being Allowed to exist on screen.
1: Yes, how Stella got her groove back. The best man, love basketball. Ooh, bop,
0: bop, bop, bop. Lila, I was also curious about this thing. It seemed that Black Love films have these booms and busts. You know. Like with a lot of black movies, there are some times when there's a lot of them, and then there's sometimes when there's just none. Like in the 80s, you know, how there were just the very few black films that showed up in the 80s. And, mm. you know, I was wondering like why. So I asked Dr. Great to break down some history for us.
2: It's always economic. And the issue is, is that in moments where the industry finds itself in a downturn. The quickest way to reinvigorate the box office is by focusing on the audience that overconsumes movies. That audience happens to be black. Black people watch more films and attend more movies historically than any other group. So that's the same reason that we get the black exploitation era in the 1970s is because Hollywood is struggling and they don't know what to do. They don't know what's working. So they say, oh, well, let's make these cheap black movies and, and make them for cheap. And then, you know, maybe they'll make money. So by the time we get to the 90s, there is uh, a lull in the box office and an opportunity for Black filmmakers. This is also the Clinton administration, too, and there's this focus on, you know, multiculturalism in terms of what's going on in the broader sense of society. But by the time we get to the 90s, man, we're able to see movies like Mo' Better Blues... That one was with Denzel, right? Hmm. I was wondering when Denzel was gonna
0: make his appearance today. Right? You know Denzel had to be mentioned in an episode about love in black movies. And Mo Better Blues was all about love. It was sexy. He played this cool jazz trumpeter.
2: Before that film, Denzel was never seen in any roles that were primarily focused on with Black women, romance. There were several adaptations that took place in the 90s. Waiting to Exhale. All right, Leela, it's my turn. Now, wait a minute.
0: Waiting to Exhale is absolutely one of my favorite films with Black love. So we got to take a little pause for this one. I loved this song. This movie was everything. And it was a story about friendship, this sisterhood, this bond that these four Black women had. And they supported each other through all these ups and downs in their love lives. And the soundtrack I mean, I listened to that CD without skipping a single song. Loved it.
2: That movie was like a movement, wasn't it? Like, that, that movie was a movement for black women. It was like, boom. And what was so fascinating, it had all of these different black actresses that were able to shine in that film that I, I really loved that. It wasn't just one. We had a plethora of different black actresses who were really shining in that film.
1: I love that we're going through these eras because we're really seeing a change, like a transition of relationships and how people react in them, like men and women, you know, and specifically women starting
0: to find themselves and find their voices in a way that feels a little different. Right. And there's one more. You cannot talk about 90s Black romance films without this one. I know what it is. It's got
1: to be Love, Jones.
2: All right, this is a uh, little something I've been working on. It's new. I call it uh, a blues for Nina. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Say, baby, can I be your slave? The Black love in those scenes flourish where it's everywhere. I mean, it's not just what we hear in the poetry, but it's also what we see on the screen. The smoky, candlelit poetry venue with all these beautiful Black people grooving and snapping their fingers. A mm, spoken word, all the sultry looks, the subtleties,
1: the way the people was just, the eye contact, it was just so smooth and just simple flirting back then. Simple, the easy way to get to know somebody. Let me give you a look in a snap snap.
2: Love Jones really was the film that embodied this idea of, of the 90s Black Renaissance. It combine the idea of romance with black working professionals this upwardly mobile group of black artists a poet a photographer you know there was this real soulful essence that explored the idea of black romance with a certain nuance but also with a certain style and it was sexy and it was new when they was dancing and they were sweating and crying you know what i mean it was just something very visceral and very connected about the way that film really resonated during that time who am i well they all call me brother to the night and right now i'm the blues in your left thigh trying to become the funk
0: Dr. Great says there was this point in time when things were dramatically changing for
2: Black films overall. In the wake of 9-11, there's a shift in the production strategy in the Hollywood industry. And so where Black films were already kind of low on the Hollywood totem pole and Black romance even lower... Uh, by the time 9-11 hits, the industry takes a different direction and they stop making Black movies altogether.
0: So it was a bad time for Black film overall, right? Not just Black romance. So filmmakers basically took it upon themselves to fund these kind of lower-budget, stripped-down movies at that time. But they were still interesting, Eight years before Barry Jenkins made the Oscar-winning Black queer romance, Moonlight, and 10 years before he made If Beale Street Could Talk, another beautiful romance. Jenkins made the much lesser-known movie called Medicine for Melancholy.
1: This is a little embarrassing, but I I kind of forgot your name.
0: I don't know if we ever got there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I know we didn't. We were pretty drunk. <laughs> I'm I'm Micah. Angela. Nice to meet you, Angela.
0: So it's this slow story about this guy and girl who spend this long day together in San Francisco, right? They come from different black Backgrounds, And he's like challenging her in many ways to think about race and social justice. And it's just like this struggle back and forth. At the same time, they're like falling for each other. But they spend this amazing day in the city. And it's all over one day. It stars Wyatt Cenac and Tracy Higgins. And this is actually the film that inspired Dr. Great himself to make movies like this one. It's called Love Walks In, and it's from 2021. i oh, you serious.
2: You need some help? No, no, I'm fine. Thank you. You sure? Do you work here? Yeah. I mean, not exactly, but kind of, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> I'm here a lot in this room, so I kind of know where a lot of the books are. Okay. What book you looking for? I devil Finds Work. James Baldwin. You know it? Yeah.
1: Well, it should be here, but it's not,
0: so... It's
2: one of my favorites. Here. No.
0: (laughs) Dr. Great said he wanted to make a romance that also explored Black history and Black culture within the love story. Like, he wanted the flirtation to happen around a very Black thing, like Baldwin.
2: You know, what better way to meet somebody? Because it's like when you are meeting and connecting around ideas of the mind. Because I think the success of a romance or the success of a scene like that really hinges on the chemistry and the connection between the characters. And so what I was hoping to do in that library sequence was to really draw people in to an authentic moment and allow them to feel a palpable connection.
0: Palpable connection. Palpable connection. Yeah, it's the
1: thing we're all craving to see, Mm -hmm. you know, from the first Negro kiss, where it's just two people flirting, hugging, to poetic justice, that scene where there's so much
0: tension, it is so thick that it oozes out of the screen. To waiting, to exhale, and just the joy of seeing two Black people just being in each other's presence and falling in love on the screen. I think... We love this so much because more and more we are just seeing us, seeing all these layers of us over the decades. You can feel it. And like Oprah said, everybody loves love. And you get some love. And you get and some love. You get and, some and you get some love. you. Get
1: some love. <laughs>
0: And that's The Stoop. The Stoop is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a network of independent, listener-supported, artist-owned podcasts.
1: The Stoop family includes producer Natalie Parrott, editor Christina Loring, art by Nima Iyer, sound design and engineering by James Rollins at Roof Dog Studio. Special thanks to the NPR Story Lab. We always want to hear your thoughts about the show. So connect with us on social
0: media at The Stoop Podcast. And your feedback really helps move the show forward. So if you happen to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, rate the show, leave us a review, show us some love. We really appreciate it. Utopia.